Good morning, friends. I'm back in Branson, Missouri this week, and um, today's message is called A One-Piece Heart. It's based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Let me start by asking you, what would you like to have written on your tombstone besides your name and date of birth and date of passing into eternity? It's an interesting question. On the tombstone of William Moore Jackson, there was his name, the dates 1824 to 1891, and this five-word epitaph, a man of unquestioned integrity. Five words to sum up an entire life. I cannot think of a better tribute. The dictionary uses words such as whole or complete to describe what integrity means. To borrow a modern expression, a man with integrity has his act together. There are new loose ends that threaten his reputation. Warren Wiersbe, in his book, The Integrity Crisis, writes, Integrity is to personal or corporate character what health is to the body, or 2020 vision is to the eyes. A person with integrity is not divided. That's duplicity, or merely pretending. That's hypocrisy. He or she is whole life, uh, is put, his whole life is put together, and things are working harmoniously. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Their lives are open books. It's a great quote. And yet when I look around today, I think we have an integrity crisis. Americans are not only deeply divided, we don't know who to trust. And how does that apply to the church as well? Well, I'll tell you that only a ministry with integrity will stand the test of time. Everything else fades away, fads come and go, glitz will attract people, but it won't hold them. Good programs eventually lose their appeal, new buildings grow old, pastors stay for a while and then they leave, but integrity never goes out of style. First Thessalonians chapter 2 has been called a minister's manual, and let's understand that all of us are really our ministers. I mean, my old definition of minister is whatever you do for another in the name of Jesus. But it's more than just the minister's manual. I mean, every minister would be well advised to revisit this text at least once a year to measure um, that ministry by the standard. See, everyone knows there's a shortage of godly leaders. Everyone knows leadership is difficult. Everyone knows good leaders are hard to find. So how can we be effective? How can we change lives? How can we impact the next generation? Paul and Silas, according to Acts 17.6, turned the world upside down. How did they do that? What was their secret? Well, I found at least four answers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. First of all, they preached the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Verses 1 and 2 say, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. It has often been remarked that the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. Paul certainly found that true in Thessalonica. In Philippi, he and Silas had been stripped, beaten, and jailed. Only a midnight earthquake had freed them. They left after city authorities begged them to go, fearing civic unrest and perhaps another act of God. You can read that great story in Acts 16. When they arrived in Thessalonica, things weren't much better. They were forced to leave the city much earlier than they had planned. That's in Acts 17. What was Paul's response to all of this? 
he said, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. You know, friends, gospel ministry is rarely popular. For every person who receives us gladly, more will have nothing to do with us. If we're waiting to win the world by acclamation, it's not going to happen. Jesus warns us in John 15:18 that if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Sooner or later, those words will come true for all the servants of God. So what are we to do in the face of opposition or indifference to the gospel? I think three things at least. Refuse to be intimidated. Keep on praying. And keep on keeping on. Paul had just, he just kept on preaching. If they listened, that was good. If they didn't, that was too bad. If they opposed him, he didn't stop. If they attacked him, he kept going. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just keep on doing what you are already doing, whether anyone pays attention or not. If you keep doing right long enough, sooner or later it will pay off. Someone has said that the real measure of a person is what it takes to stop you. You know, we're all, we all want to be witnesses for Jesus. We truly want to make an impact. The people who make a real difference depend so much on God that they aren't phased by the opposition. Here's the second thing I picked out of this text. They spoke the truth with integrity. In verses 3 and 4, um, this is what Paul says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, uh, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. Now notice what Paul says in these verses. He says, our message is true. It's not from error. Our message is pure. It's not from impure motives. Our message is honest. We're not trying to trick you. Our message is trustworthy. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We can understand better when we consider the spiritual condition of the ancient world. In one textbook, Leon Morris summed it up this way. He writes, There has probably never been such a variety of religious cults and philosophic systems as in the day of Paul. East and West had united and intermingled to produce an amalgam of real piety, high moral principles, crude superstition, and gross license. Oriental mysteries, Greek philosophy, and local godlings competed for favor under the tolerant aegis of Roman indifference. Holy men of all creeds and countries, popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, crackpots and cranks, the sincere and the spurious, the righteous and the rogue, swindlers and saints, jostled and clamored for the attention of the credulous and the skeptical. Boy, it sure sounds like today, doesn't it? Well, in light of these conditions, Paul stresses his moral integrity. When he says his message does not come from error, he highlights the truth, the true content of the Christian faith. He's not spreading falsehoods or aimless speculations. Um, when he says his message does not come from impurity, he means that he is not using the gospel as a cover for sexual immorality. The word for t- trickery comes from the waterfront. It means to bait the hook. Paul didn't use his preaching as a come-on to entice the Thessalonians into following him or giving him money. He was not running some sort of a religious shell game like a sideshow huckster at a carnival. When he says that he has been entrusted with the gospel, he emphasizes the high honor God has given him to preach the gospel. As a sacred trust, it required the highest moral and ethical standards. I don't think it takes... um, 
anybody overly intelligent to realize that today America is in trouble and we've lost our way as a nation. The events of the last few years illustrate how lost we are, and I believe America is already under God's judgment. If you doubt my words, just read the headlines. We have lost our way morally and spiritually. It's no wonder our nation is torn into competing factions. It's no wonder we don't trust our leaders. It's no wonder we can't get along with each other. It's no wonder we can't agree on what marriage means or what it means to be male and female. You see, friends, when you turn away, with God, from, turn away from God, you end up with total moral anarchy. We aren't far from that now. We are seeing Romans chapter 1 come true. In times like these, it's not enough to speak the truth. We must back it up with a godly life. Unbelievers understand this. That's why the cause of Christ is hurt so badly when televangelists fall into sin or pastors turn out to be hypocrites. People expect more from those who claim to represent God. They hold us to a higher standard, whether we like it or not. Paul says that God has approved him <clears throat> to preach the gospel. Could God say the same thing about you? Could God place his stamp of approval upon your life? Well, Paul answered yes, unequivocally. How about you? Here's a third point. They refused all trickery. In verse 5, Paul said, We know we never used or you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. In verse 5, Paul discusses the methods he used to reach people. Once again, he states it in the negative. He says, we never used flattery. We did not put on a mask to cover up greed. The word flattery means to make a favorable impression for a selfish purpose. It touches such areas as insincere compliments, praise given that we don't mean, uh, using emotional manipulation and insincerity as a matter of policy. By contrast, Paul was a plain-spoken man. <clears throat> he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. You never had to wonder, what did he really mean by that? If he was pleased, he said so. If he wasn't, he said so. In the vernacular, he was a straight shooter. Like an actor wearing a mask, many people appear to be one thing, while in fact, there's something else entirely. They say things and do things that appear to be generous and even magnanimous to gain a personal advantage. A paycheck, a bonus, a pat on the back, an award, a new contract, a big sale, a new account, you know, the corner office, a new job. Surveys continue to tell us that one of the number one complaints the unchurched have about the church is that we are just after money. You know, that's, that's nothing new. They made the same complaint against Paul 2,000 years ago, and the answer is always the same check us out. Look at the way we live. Check our lifestyle. Check out our missionaries. I mean, missionaries could have made a lot more money by not being a missionary. Yet they go to the ends of the earth, learn a new language, enter a new culture, live among people who aren't always happy to see them. And they do it gladly and without complaint. Here's my fourth point. They sought praise from God and God alone. In verse 6 it says, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. This goes to the question of motive. What made them act this way? Well, Paul uses a word that means to eagerly seek. That's the key. Now, it's not wrong to receive praise from men, especially for a job well done. We all like to hear that. Good work ought to be praised. However, it's wrong to do your work solely, or even mostly, for the praise of men. We don't need some kind of spiritual PR department to make us feel better about ourselves. 
What we want and what we seek is the praise of Almighty God. In verse 4, Paul spoke of not pleasing man, but God. Well, let's set up a comparison of those two ideas just for a moment. Man pleaser refuses to speak hard truth. God pleaser willing to speak hard truth. Man pleaser says what people want to hear. A God pleaser says what people need to hear. Man pleaser flip-flops on crucial issues. God pleaser consistent at all times. Man pleaser obedient when convenient. God pleaser obedient even when it hurts. Man pleaser tells the truth most of the time. God pleaser tells the truth all of the time. Let's suppose for a moment you've been feeling sick lately. When you go to the doctor, he administers a test. The results are not good. The outlook is grim, but the disease is treatable if you get started right now. Now, what do you want the doctor to do? Well, if he tells you the truth, you'll be devastated. If he doesn't, you'll be dead. Would you rather have him sugarcoat the truth or even lie to you? Or do you want to know the whole truth, nothing but the truth about your condition, even if it hurts? Well, I know my answer. When I go to the doctor, I want to know the whole truth, even if it does hurt. When life and death issues are at stake, only the truth will do. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the stakes couldn't be higher. Christians must be people who hold to the highest possible standards of truth and integrity. Let me close this morning by reminding you that hard times are upon us. Christians around the world are under attack for their faith. For a long time, uh, we thought the troubles would be over there on the other side of the ocean. But as things have changed in the West, the culture has gotten more hostile to the Christian faith. We should not be surprised because Jesus said this would happen. We are sent out every day like sheep among wolves, according to Matthew 10:16. Given today's spiritual climate, many people think it's better to keep your head down and say nothing about your faith. But friends, we don't have that option as Christ followers. Sooner or later, we're all going to have to take a stand. Perhaps the most encouraging thing about Paul's defense of his ministry is what he didn't say. After suffering so much persecution, he doesn't say, I'm going to change my message to be more effective. I I need to understand the felt needs of the Thessalonians better. I've got to stop telling them that idol worship is bad. I mean, people will think I'm just a negative troublemaker. That wasn't Paul. He stood his ground. He didn't back down. He kept on preaching the gospel. And friends, God help us to do the same. Let me go back for a moment to that forgotten tombstone and those five simple words. A man of unquestioned integrity. You could say that about Paul. He preached the gospel in spite of strong opposition. He spoke the truth with integrity. He refused all trickery. He sought praise from God and God alone. I mean, what a terrific testimony. It's a worthy goal for all of us. Uh, There's a hymn that we sing from time to time in church. It's called, Be Thou My Vision. And in it, it says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thy Thou mine inheritance now and always, thou and thou only first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. It's no wonder they said of Paul and Silas, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's impact. That's why we're still talking about their ministry 2,000 years later. But how can I say that Paul was a man of unquestioned integrity when his opponents questioned everything he did? The answer is, 
people can say whatever they want. We can't stop others from lying about us. If we stand for Christ in these troubled times, we're bound to be criticized by someone. Paul nowhere tried to silence his critics. He just simply said, look at my life. That's all the answer you need. Integrity means living with nothing hidden because you have nothing to hide. Let people say what they will. We can't stop our critics, but we can make sure they don't that what they say won't stick to us. So don't worry about those critics. Focus on pleasing the Lord. Do the right thing. Abraham Lincoln put it this way, If I were to try to read, much less answer all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing it so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what's said against me won't amount to not anything. If the end brings me out wrong, 10,000 angels swearing I was right would make no difference. Well, earlier I passed over one little comment that may in fact be the key. Paul said, we were bold in our God. Friends, when you have a firm grip on God, and he has a firm grip on you, you can be bold. Why be afraid when God is on our side? Get to know the Lord and rest in him. Don't build your ministry and then add God. Build on the rock called God and let your ministry rest on that divine foundation. When you start with God, no one will have to tell you to be bold. You'll be bold, and the world will wonder where your courage came from. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to live the truth and not just to speak it. Give us the boldness that comes from knowing you. Help us to turn our world upside down with the good news of Jesus. Amen. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.